Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Today I have a very special guest with me, Brother Dan Scott. Elder, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. That's good. We're sitting here with cups of coffee. Anybody that knows us know we love to drink coffee. And mine is dark coffee, real strong stuff. And uh, Brother Scott, what kind of coffee are you drinking? McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Before uh, we get into the interview, uh, I just want to kind of introduce Elder Scott and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself in this interview. But um, Brother Scott is a great friend of mine. And uh, Brother Scott, you I don't know if I've ever told you this, but you mean a lot to me because when we first moved here, you were one of the first people to take me in under your wing. And I never will forget you took us out to eat. Do you remember that? It's, I, I think we'd only been here a couple services. You took us out to eat. And you shared some of your stories then with me, and they fascinated me. And so this is kind of a dream come true because I'll get to hear more in depth. I think a lot of people that, uh, especially here from this local church, that may know you don't really know much of your story. Just bits and pieces that you've preached here and there, you know. Uh, right. and, but you can't really expound on it. So I really wanted to get your story more in depth today. Is that all right if we go ahead and begin? Yes, sir. Okay. First question I'm going to ask before we begin, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself growing up, your home life, your testimony, and so on? I was raised, uh, born and raised in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, we lived on a farm, uh, my dad, mom, an older brother and sister. And uh, this little farm had 80 acres. It was just outside of Fort Smith. Dad drove a truck and was a shipping clerk for the old uh, McCord Wholesale Grocery Company there in Fort Smith. And we went to church at the Southside United Pentecostal Church. As I grew older, I remember liking to go to church and enjoying it. But I always, in my mind, I wanted to live for God. But I didn't really want to sell out and live for Him and do what it took to pay the price. My main goal and my desire uh, as I got older was to just play football and uh, become, I guess, a success uh if that could be called a success and but in today's world uh it would be mm -hmm. considered but before long it seemed that all was uh, that's all i wanted to do my mind was literally consumed with it until one day during a game and i'll never forget my dad coming to me uh after the first game that i played or second i got hurt and he came to me and he said i'll never come and pick you up after another game because he said one of these days you're going to get hurt and it's going to cost you hmm. something along those lines and uh one day there was a, a game that we played and i tackled the guy both of us was going uh, uh pretty fast uh when we hit my head flew back my helmet came off and uh, i remember that everyone got up that day but me and uh I was on the ground looking for my helmet and uh, couldn't find it. And uh, I wouldn't tell anybody and uh, didn't tell anybody, but I couldn't see out of my right eye. I could, uh, all my vision was uh, gone in it. And it was later that day before uh, the vision ever came back in that eye. And that was a funny thing. I've just never, I've always kind of kept that uh, a secret, I guess, if you could mm -hmm. say in the back of my mind. And uh, I just, uh, and from that point on, I went to the doctor. Uh, uh, well, I didn't go to the doctor right then, but I had uh, started having uh, seizures 
uh, epileptic seizures, and uh, which uh, became uh, quite a, a downfall uh, to me. I, uh, I became depressed because uh, later on that year, uh, the doctor said, you're not going to play anymore because of this uh, uh, accident. Because uh, after a series of tests, uh, they found out there was a, a scar on the tissue of my brain that was causing the seizures. And uh, it was not so much that uh, the seizures, uh, I knew when they were coming on, but I would wake up every day with the fear of, is this day going to ha end with another seizure? Am I going to have one? And uh, during my life, as I began to get older and the seizures happened, uh, there was uh, a lot of times I just uh, became depressed. Uh, there was one time I, uh, uh, my mom got me uh, some tablets that the doctor put me on, and they were, uh, I can't remember, but uh, you didn't, I didn't want to do anything, but basically just sat on the end of the porch, and after I took one of those pills, it seemed like it took the stress out of it <laughs> and uh, but really I was becoming attached to those pills until one day she realized it and she threw them away and wouldn't let me have them and uh, so I uh, went on there's a lot of time I mean there's so much I could tell about those seizures the depression uh, I guess is in good way the medicine that they put me on throw you into kind of a mood swing and then uh, they would try different medications on several different occasions to try to uh, control these medication these seizures and I guess uh, I guess I can relate to the fact of the scripture in the Bible that I've suffered many things from many physicians <laughs> <laughs> trying to trying to find out what could control these seizures because I remember, I was still, I got older, I got a job driving a truck, and uh, but as I said, I knew when they were coming on, but uh, uh, alone at times, I remember having one, uh, or feeling one coming on, and I was by myself, it was late at night, and uh, I drove, I saw a, an old gas station, deserted gas station, just pulled over, lay down in the seat, and the seizure hat came, it went, and uh, I remember thinking in my mind, please, if God, can, if you can help me, don't let a policeman come by and find me. And uh, so just a lot of uh, things like that that happened. I, I think a lot of it was due to the medication that I was on, uh, the depression and so forth. And, uh, and finally, uh, one day, I, uh, it, it drove me to a point to... Uh, uh, the pool halls was not uh, anything that uh, carried anything. There was nothing there until uh, I found my way back to an apostolic church and uh, uh, repented of my sins. I got the Holy Ghost uh, on June the 11th in 1976. Brother John Kershaw was preaching in the Redfield Campground. I remember Brother Kershaw. And he... Uh, that particular service, it was the, the last night of that, uh, uh, the camp, the youth camp. And uh, I didn't get, I hadn't been seeking the Holy Ghost, but I just could not break through. And uh, I tried and I tried, but I just didn't, didn't do it. But on my way to the campground that night, uh, 
I remember making up in my mind, I'm not going to leave this service without the Holy Ghost. I knew that was the most important thing for me to do in my life. And Brother Kershaw uh, began preaching out of Matthew 24. Yes. Uh, <laughs> really, he was known really for odd. some of that, that kind of preaching, wasn't he? So, right. And really, uh, the odd thing about it, we're going through this pandemic right now. And he elaborated on the pestilence uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that passage of Scripture talks about. And uh, and what and he said, and I can still remember him saying that those pestilence means diseases, sicknesses. And, and uh, so anyway, but at the close of the service, he said, I know there's some got the Holy Ghost this week, but if you hadn't got the Holy Ghost, he said, I want you to lift both hands and start walking down here to the, toward the front and uh, saying in Jesus' name. Every time you uh, just... Come on up, just just mm. say in Jesus' name. So I did that. I threw both hands up. I threw all caution to the wind of trying to, uh, I was kind of always a bit timid, and uh, I didn't care. I didn't care who saw me that night. I didn't care what anybody thought about me. And I probably got about three-quarters of the way up that uh, aisle of that old tabernacle, and the power of God hit me, and I began to speak in tongues, and God filled me with the Holy Ghost. Wow. That's incredible. So that's how I came to to find the Lord and my testimony. See, and I've known you how long now? Seven years. Seven years. And I have never heard that story in depth. That's why I love doing these interviews, so I can hear your story. Um, I think that'll be a real blessing to a lot of people out there. And I do remember Brother John Kershaw, and he was known for end-time preaching, wasn't he? Right. Yes, he yes. was. Okay, when did you first feel the call of God upon your life? It was around, I can't remember the exact dates, but it was around 1978, 1980, somewhere in between there. I started feeling a call to preach. I thought that's what it was. I I felt something that I couldn't put my finger on. But the fact in my mind, I still had the fear of the seizures. Yes. uh, Because they were not controlled right then. And that's still, uh, I didn't trust it every once in a while. I still had them. And uh, so I just kind of would brush it off because I, could, I couldn't think that I would ever be able to do anything for God because of the seizures that I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I kind of brushed that part off, and I started teaching Bible studies and uh, in spite of knocking doors and just doing what I could around the church. By that time, I had moved to uh, uh, going to church at... Uh, Northside United Pentecostal Church, and Brother James Lumpkin was my pastor. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I just started teaching uh, Bible studies and uh, knocking doors. And uh, there was one time that uh, me and this one elderly pastor, uh, elderly preacher, he had pastored but had uh, retired. And I, I, I'm going to say he was at least in his 70s. But we were the only ones that showed up for outreach that day. Hmm. And uh, I felt fine. I thought I felt fine. And uh, But uh, halfway through our door knocking, well, I had a seizure. And uh, so you can imagine waking up in the hospital because uh, he didn't know what to do. He just, uh, 
called uh, an ambulance and uh, he told later and uh, bless his heart he said I told uh, those ambulance drivers uh, let's all pray that's what we need to do <laughs> he was about 77 uh, 75 years old and elderly man and he said they looked at me like I was nuts and he said uh, I just prayed without him <laughs> so uh, but anyway uh I woke up in the hospital, and Brother Lumpkin, uh, they called him, and he came, picked me up, and, and brought me back to the church that Saturday, and uh, that kind of uh, kind of set me back a little bit, but uh, later on, still that same drive till I went and talked to Brother Lumpkin about it, and uh, so when I uh, talked to him and uh, asked him about it, uh, he said, okay, he said, I want you to start helping a little bit more around the church. He said, I want you to start teaching in Sunday school. He said, I want you to help the ushers. He said, I want you to clean the restrooms and see, we'll see just how it goes from there. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, Sounds I said, like my yes, story, kind of. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. I said, that would be fine. And that's what I started doing. And the next Sunday, he uh, called me up there to the platform and uh, he, uh, and you know, I look back on this now, and I don't, uh, I didn't see it then, but I realized really what uh, he was uh, kind of preparing me for really for what God was going to use me for, I feel like then. And uh, we, I had my mind made up on going to heaven, you know, the journey. I mean, the, the, the destination was no, no uh, sidetrack in my mind. I knew where I was going. Yes. But sometimes we don't know the journey that God's going to take us to get right to the destination yes, that we're going to go to and uh so anyway he told me to wait he wanted to see me after the church and i said okay and and uh, i was scared i didn't know what to do you know i said is he going to have i done something wrong and uh so anyway i uh as we started back to the back i uh to his office i uh picked up his bible i was carrying his bible for him and he just began to uh just kind of chat with me and and uh, he stopped toward the back of the uh, church, and uh, he said, "Listen." And uh, so I did. I and I'll agree. Uh, I'll admit I didn't hear anything. And uh, he said, "Don't you hear that humming?" And I said, "I do now." He said, "That's the air conditioner running." And uh, he said, "That's." that's costing the church money. And he said, you always want to remember, he said, people are going to turn things off, but they're turn them on, but sometimes they're not going to turn them off. And uh, he said, I need you to always remember that before you leave the building to listen for that air conditioner mm -hmm. and be sure and turn it off. And I said, yes, sir. And uh, I walked with him to his uh, office and handed him his Bible. He said, that's all I needed to talk to you about. And uh, so <laughs> I went on uh, home, and I, I never forgot that. I, uh, my hearing, I'm 63 years old, my hearing still bad, is bad today. And, uh, but I can hear a humming of an air conditioner. Yeah, he trained your ear. He <laughs> trained my ear to that. And uh, from that point on, he taught me a lot of things of how to, uh, I guess, to assist mm -hmm. a man. Uh, he, uh, Brother Urshan would come by and preach 
and uh, he told me one one time, he said, I want you to go to the back there. We're going to go ahead and start. Brother Urshan's going to be late. He said, uh, open the door for him, greet him at the car, and uh, ask him if he needs anything. And, uh, and he didn't do that just for Brother Urshan. He did that for ever visiting uh, uh, pastor, uh, whoever he had. Uh, I was at the door there, and uh, there was a time he had a comp. There was some kind of little conference there at the church in Northside, and uh, I was there, and uh, he had me to bring the meal in there to them from the kitchen. Uh, there was others eating in the fellowship hall. The ones that were speaking were in his office, and just, just things like that, just doing things around the house of God, helping uh, uh, out in the house of God. And I, I realized that he, he back now he's done dead and gone and and uh but i realized really now how much he really helped me to mold me because i've never forgot what uh uh that uh that he taught me it, isn't it incredible and i don't mean to interrupt you but isn't it incredible how that god knows just what we need because he knows our future and he knew to set you up with this particular man because he would train you to hear things like an air conditioner running which <laughs> that would come in handy in later right. years. <laughs> uh, when did you first preach your uh, your first message, and when did you preach it, and, and what did you preach? I uh, preached on December the 31st. I meant where I, did you preach it? Oh, and it was at Northside United Pentecostal Church. There with Brother Lumpkin, uh, and it was December 31st, uh, 1981. It was watch night service, and uh, I think it lasted an in whole of about ten minutes because he said <laughs> he said uh, if it lasted that long, he said he wanted uh, all of uh, the preachers that uh, were there to uh, to preach something, to say something. We're going into a new year, and uh, so <laughs> he asked me, mentioned it to me. He said, "I want you to be ready tonight," and. Uh, I, w I want you to say something. And uh, so I, I preached on when uh, certainties become uncertain. I remember the title. Hmm. And, uh, but, Do you remember the scripture? Uh, I think if I called to mind and, uh, that it was God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, yes. and forever. Okay. So what God puts in our heart, uh, what God has said was wrong yesterday is still wrong today. We're going into a new year. Yeah. And, uh, uh, as I preached that and I said, what, uh, what has been preached this past year, still, it's, it's still the same this next year where it's not been changed. The Bible does not change from yes. year to year. Yes. It always stays the same. So that was my first, first message that I ever preached. So. <laughs> was, uh, did any of your family get to hear it? My dad and my mom heard it. And, uh, I can't remember if, uh, if my sister was there, my brother was already assisting a man in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Okay. And he was gone at that time. And uh, so. How did you first meet your wife? That is an eHarmony success story right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know. I'm just teasing. <laughs> so. Uh, that's, that's a plug for eHarmony. <laughs> uh, I was still there at Northside, and uh, Brother Lumpkin, uh, he was the district superintendent, and uh, he was kind of, uh, 
was uh I don't know if you would he kind of semi retired and uh brother Bill Thomas was the uh pastor then and I was pastor in the church and uh I was on uh and my wife's sister had married a boy from that church, a young preacher that was in the church there. And my wife was from Canada and uh this girl was there and uh so she uh uh came to visit her and I was at the back still helping Usher and uh still just helping out there and something was wrong with the sound and we had those I, I want to call them air phones that you could talk to the platform from the back of the church and was trying to uh, uh, get something straight in the sound system. And uh, they were asking me a question about it. And so she walked in the door and uh, I saw her and uh, and she walked over. Uh, her uh, sister came over and they introduced me to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I met her then and just a couple of years later then we were married and uh i got uh, i had never been on a, a plane in my life uh never never uh i got on a bus and never been on a train or uh, a plane and uh i wanted to see her and but i knew the only way i was going to see her again until she come back down was i was going to have to take a trip and a plane tri- and a bus trip was going to be too far Mm-hmm. And uh, so I uh, flew up there to see her. And I'll never forget uh, at the airport uh, looking at that jet before I loaded. And I said to myself, if somebody came up and traded me a bus ticket for this, I would take it now. So, <laughs> But anyway, that that's how we met, and uh, uh, the rest is history. So it was love at first sight, basically. Uh I told her I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've evangelized, you've pastored, you've assisted. Uh, what are the particular challenges of each type of ministry? Maybe let's start with evangelizing. Evangelizing, uh, you're just there. I, I never bought a trailer and, and traveled per se like a lot do mm-hmm. today. But I did a lot of weekend revivals, a lot just regular revivals that drive to stayed in the pastor's home uh but uh i guess uh a challenge would be uh to me the one of the main things that that i personally myself was to uh make sure that i I needed to realize uh that i was there to help that church and that man of god and whatever was needed and that was to find the mind of god for that church at that time and whatever God wanted uh, uh, me to preach uh, and to to pray, seek God, and make sure that every service I preached was the expressed mind of God. Yes. If, and, if you don't mind, can I kind of ask a little question off script here? Sure. Uh, with evangelizing, one of, because I've never evangelized, so this is a question I have in mind. Every church is different, right? And yes. every church has a different temperature. How long would it typically take you to find the temperature of a of a certain church? To me, uh, three night revival. It seems like you're just getting started. Yes, and really uh, I can see into that. it. And uh, 
the longest revival that I ever preached, uh, if I could call it that, that's what the pastor called it, uh, was nearly a year wow. off and on uh, during that year. And it was in Arkansas, and I had moved there. And we'll get to that later on. But uh, he said, I need an evangelist. I, and I'm not trying, uh, please understand, I'm not trying to be somebody. I'm not anybody. But uh, when I walked in the church, I knew there was something amiss in the church, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it. And not that I was trying at that particular time, because the first time I walked in the church was, uh, it was right before we moved there. And, uh, and the pastor told me, he said, I, uh, I need an evangelist, and uh, I don't know how long I can keep him. I cannot afford one. And he said, and it's going to take a long time, but I need an evangelist. If you're moving up here and in this area, would you, would you help me? And it took almost, almost, I would say, a year before it ever broke what he wow. was after. And, Incredible. Uh, and I know it sounds, uh, I know it sounds, I, I don't want to sound egotistical, boastful. I, I'm not because I'm, I'm, I'm not nobody. But I remember studying and praying uh, during that uh, revival and uh, trying to, uh, or while we were there, and nights that I would preach. And, uh, and I would have something. I felt God give it to me. And, uh, but before I would ever go up to, I would get to the platform. And within minutes before he turned the pulpit over, God would immediately switch it and uh, change it. And uh, I preached something totally different, totally off from what I was doing. And I look back on that revival now and realize that it was God that did that. It was what he wanted, and it was dealt with the way he wanted to deal with it. Because uh, those notes, I had no notes. I had I have no remembrance, really, unless they taped it. And that I don't know if they did. I, uh, but... Uh, but God knows. Yes, he does. Absolutely. If so, that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. And those of you that know Brother Scott know that uh, later on that would become a regular occurrence for you because we've seen all of us that's heard you preach have seen you on the platform where God changed your message at the last minute. Uh, and this is just a way that God deals with him particularly. I think there's a lot of... Uh, men that might agree with something I'm about to say that God may deal with every man in a different measure. Uh, there's some men that are more calculated in their approach, but then there's some men that the elder D.C. Moody comes to mind right. that just, and I, they, they, you can't say fly by the seat of their pants because they're flying by the Holy Ghost. Right. The Holy Ghost, wherever the, the wind blows, that's where they go. And it, it may even seem uh, like some men are kind of just shooting all over the tree, but they're following the Holy Ghost mm -hmm. and they're meeting particular needs. I'll never forget a story he told that he, he mentioned a service where he was preaching and uh, he was going down a certain vein of encouragement and he said all of a sudden he switched and he started preaching judgment and a few minutes later he went back to encouragement and he said that was the oddest thing that's ever happened to me so he walked away and the pastor said well what you don't realize is that two reprobates walked in the back door in the middle of your preaching that's when it switched to judgment he said, when they got mad and got up and walked out, you switch right back to encouragement. 
I love that story, but you never know how God's leading. So we've talked about evangelizing now. Uh, can you talk about some of the particular challenges of pastoring? Pastoring uh, is totally different uh, ball there. Uh, to me, uh, you're closer to the people uh, as individuals, and uh, uh, you're con- more connected with them, and uh, there's a particular weight and I, I only pre, uh, pastored for uh, about two years. And uh, there's a weight that you feel from that, these people, uh, because you realize every day that you have these people's souls in your hands. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get close to them. And, and uh, when, I, when I say close to them, I don't mean that you buddy up with them. Sure. I mean, you get, uh, there, there is something, you, there's an attachment there. And uh, you just want to make sure uh, when you pastor that your call and your burden is, is, is for that. Because the fact that, uh, and that everything's done right, because the fact that their souls are in your hand, their souls, that it, their eternal destiny is in your hand. Yeah. And uh, it's not something, well, I'm going to, I'm going to evangelize for a few years, and then I'm going to find a good church that pays good, and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, put my name in the ring. No, it's 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 not that. You've got to realize they're souls that's in your hand, and they're going to spend eternity somewhere in heaven or hell, and uh, it, you could make the difference in that. You could either make them or break them with them, and. Uh, so uh, there's a there to me is a total different challenge with it's that total uh, different weight too because each carries its own particular burden right right and I've never pastored either so I don't understand it uh, but I mentioned something in the last those of you that listen to Bible 101 lessons I talked about Moses how that the Bible says he went up on the mountain God said I'm about to appear to the people Moses you're in charge of sanctifying the people and he said you're in charge of setting bounds around the mountain and but something I noticed. Uh, in one of the next verses, it says Moses went down and he told him, he said, come not at your wives. And if you go back and read, God didn't tell him to say that. Mm-hmm. But he was trying to protect the people. Right. And he thought, if we're going to approach a holy God and I'm in charge of sanctifying them, I'm going to add this rule. And uh, a lot of people may not understand that their pastor may set a rule for that particular church. Mm-hmm. And they may say, well, where's that in the Bible? Well, it may not be in the Bible. Maybe it's covered by a principle, but right. the pastor's trying to protect him because he carries that weight, that specific responsibility. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes. Okay, let's uh, talk about uh, the particular challenges now of assisting. Assisting, uh, if you've never pastored, uh, I can say it, it's, it's two different balls of wax. Uh, if I could use that term, uh, you've got to make sure you know your place. Mm-hmm. Uh, assisting uh, and don't ever 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 take uh, ever <laughs> we're take, here at the church by the way so if you hear the phone ringing or the fax machine kick up that's the reason just why just one of those things <laughs> uh, you don't never 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 take advantage of the liberty that that pastor has given you to assist him uh, it's the pastor's church it's not mine. It's not yours. Uh, whoever's assisting, and if you're listening, uh, if you are assisting, it's not your church. And uh, uh, he's the one that sets the guidelines and the boundaries uh, uh, for uh, those people. They're not 
your people. Uh, you don't direct them. He directs them. And uh, you've got to make sure you know your place. I guess that's the most important thing that, uh, that I would say about the uh, assistant is make sure you keep your place and uh, you don't ever step across that. Uh, as pastoring, I, uh, I watch and I'm probably double careful uh, because I don't never want to step across that line mm -hmm. because I have pastored before. Yes. And uh, I don't want to uh, in any way... Uh, infringe or encroach. Infringe, right, or uh, encroach on that and that liberty that he... Uh, and so uh, that's the, the thing. Uh, I just don't want to jeopardize and uh, the trust that he's put in me. Yes. If I could use a story, Brother Scott didn't know I was going to tell this, but to me this is a perfect representation of Brother Scott as an assistant. There's a story I'll never forget. It was Black Friday, and the crowds were insane that day. And we met up at the church, and Pastor was up there, and all I heard Pastor say was, I wish I had a cup of flavored, wa uh, flavored coffee. And you turned to me and you said, let's go get him one. And I knew what we were in for because it was Black Friday. <laughs> and of all places, Brother Scott went to Walmart. How long did we stand in line that day? Long time. It was a long time. <laughs> but he did it. And honestly, this is a little humorous, but all I could think of was the story of David saying, oh, I wish I had a drink from the well of water. <laughs> and those three men that went and fought their way through the enemy lines. But... That, to me, is a representation of Brother Scott as an assistant because all he heard his pastor say is that I just want a, a cup of flavored coffee, and he was willing to go and do that. So that, that meant something to me, watching you do that. Um, so let's go ahead and move on with the questions here. Uh, tell us a story about how you wound up here assisting Pastor Davis. Well, that's kind of a... I have to go around about to get to it. After I, I felt I was not... I just, I felt pastoring is not what I need to be doing. I resigned the church and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do then and I didn't know where to go. Uh, basically, I uh, kind of felt mainly as a failure. And, uh, but uh, I uh, was at the, in the office and I prayed and I said, God, if I had a trailer, and I said, you know, I don't, uh, can't get one right now but if I had one uh, and just I was just praying and talking to him and the situation and, and uh, how to get out of there you know and, mm -hmm. and uh, so uh, anyway uh, a friend of ours uh, mine uh, brother Terry Lee that pastors in Fields Louisiana he called me and asked me what I was going to do and so I told him I, I didn't know I needed to go somewhere and just to get 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 out of there and uh, he said, I don't know what your your situation is, but there is a backslider uh, that uh, called his sister that goes to our church and asked if we knew anybody that uh, could use a travel trailer just for a short period of time uh, while he's away. He had a brand new 38-foot travel trailer. And uh, he said, uh, I don't care. I'll set it up in the church if, if he knew, knows anyone. And uh, so that's, uh, that was our, 
our place. We moved to uh, Fields, Louisiana, and uh, I don't even know this backslider's name. I never could thank him. I never knew where he was. He just uh, pulled his uh, that trailer up, set it up in the uh, church, and uh, Brother Lee and that church was so kind for that year uh, to to let us live there. I preached out a time or two. I was very restless, uh, felt as I failed. Uh, I remember one time getting in the uh, car and driving to De Quincey, Louisiana, there, uh, and uh, trying to, uh, I had to go up there and get something. And I remember thinking about Canyon City and thinking that I had failed. And I, uh, I asked God, I said, God, it would have been better had I just died. And I said to face, uh, I feel I feel like I could just, I just, I wanted to die. <laughs> and uh, I'm just telling you how I felt. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I came back, and we were in the church was in revival with Brother McFall, Brother John McFall, and uh, he walked out there when I pulled up, and uh, I I remember praying. Uh, uh, during that, on the way to De Quincey, I, I didn't. I, I was so intense with that, my knuckles was turning white. I was grabbing the steering wheel so hard, and uh, uh, I, I'm just gonna just because men had called and said, I knew you were gonna fail at pastoring, and uh, basically, if I could have hid in a swamp somewhere, and uh, I would have been fine with me. I just uh, I didn't want to go out. I just. I did rather just died, and uh, so. Uh, but uh, Brother McFall was there, and uh, I had stepped out of the trailer for something, and uh, he walked out, and and uh, we began. I'd met him years uh, previous in Kansas, and uh, he uh, he walked up and to me, and, and uh, we just began to chat, and then finally he said, "You know, I I remember when I left Evadale, and he said." I wanted to die. Hmm. And I, I stopped what I was doing. And uh, began, I, I do apologize. And, uh, okay. but, uh, uh, began to listen to him. And for several minutes, he just sat there and stood there and talked to me about, about, uh, I guess, uh, I know it sounds may be uh, crazy, but I guess coming down from pastoring to just going into being a saint, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and I but uh, and and it helped so much, uh, and uh, but there was still this restlessness, and uh, I wanted to do something. I wanted to go get 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 somewhere, just go, and. Uh, I remember praying one night uh, in back of the trailer. I was walked back and forth behind the church, uh, close to their new building there, and uh, praying. And I said, "God, would you show me where I'm at?" I said, "I need some help." And uh, that night I had a dream, and in that dream. I was in a jet and uh, flying it, and uh, I forgot how to fly it. 
I grabbed the sides of it and I said, God, I cannot fly this thing anymore. And I could hear the roar. I can, after all these years, I've been here going on 18 years. That, that, that's been 20 years ago. And that dream is so vivid. And uh, to me, that I've never forgot it. And I could hear the roar of that jet. And I knew in my mind it was crashing because I had just, uh, I had been in one before. Uh, there was a man in the military that, that got me and let me get into a fighter jet before. And so uh, I, uh, I grabbed to the sides of that jet as I was praying. I said, God, I cannot fly it anymore. And uh, a hand with a nail print in it grabbed a hold of the stick of that jet hmm. in that dream. And a voice that said, you just do this, 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 and it'll land. And it all, and I did. I finally put my hand back on that stick of that jet. And uh, I found a picture of that jet, and I still carry it today. Because I don't want to ever forget. And uh, I, uh, it all began to come back. I landed the jet, and I said, well, I can, I can do this now. And so I pushed the gas to it again and fixed him to take off. And his hand came down and said, stop. You don't have enough fuel to even take off. And then I realized where I was. And the restlessness when I woke up from that dream left. And so I sat there under Brother Lee for almost a year and I began to pray and I asked God, where am I going from here? And one night I, uh, and I'll get back to the dreams later on, but uh, I had another dream. I walked out on the, the deck of a ship. It was an aircraft carrier. And uh, there was that jet that I had got out of. And there was no hesitation, there was no, no worry. And I climbed back in that jet and uh, it, it was full. And, uh, and that pat, and Brother Lee, the pastor was at the end and he flipped the green light and I took off. And I remember so vivid as it was yesterday, as it really as it was today, that I remember I banked that jet to the left and turned north. And uh, so I woke up from that dream feeling that there was some a change coming. He came to the church and he called me and he said, uh, can you come over here a minute? And so I came over there and uh, I didn't know it, but God had been dealing with him at the same time. And uh, so I told him, I said, I, I had a dream this morning I got to tell you about. And he said, really? And he said, well, tell me the dream first. And so I told him the dream, and then he said, yeah, he said, God dealt with me. And he said, and my dad was very bad, and uh, I didn't know the situation that was going on in the church that I was at, and so, uh, or where I was going. And uh, so uh, he said, I, I feel like you need to go up there and help take care of your dad. And uh, 
told me of the church, and so I did, and that was in Ozark, Arkansas. So we packed up, and uh, God helped us, and we got up there. And I hope this is not going too long. Oh, no, it's uh, good. And uh, and I was there, and uh, little did I know I got into one more battle uh, preaching for him. And there was a man in uh, the church there that was giving him some problems, and it just it was just hard to. Uh, it, and like I said a while ago, earlier it was a year, almost a year coming and coming, and uh, there were some things I needed to get straightened out in my life, uh, some things from pastoring. Uh, uh, you know, I felt like I'd failed, and I felt like, you know, sometimes you look back at a mistake, that something you did, when really you didn't need to be pastoring, I didn't need to be pastoring, and I didn't find it out till I moved to Arkansas. And uh, during the course of that stay and preaching for that, uh, pastor, I began to look back over my life and pastoring and uh, assisting because I assisted brother, uh, I helped brother Tommy Johnson for about three and a half years in Colorado Springs. And uh, so uh, I was on the front porch uh, by myself and I had had a dream that night and or that morning early in the wee hours of the morning. And uh, I finally, in that dream, and God showed me that I had left something. And uh, it was mine, and that I had left it, and uh, that he would give it back to me. And, uh, and I left something out. Brother Terry Lee was going to preach for a brother, a brother north of... Uh, of Alexandria, Louisiana one night. He had me to go with him. And during the course of that, Brother Boney, that pastor's up there, and during the course of that trip, uh, he told me, he said, uh, I will, uh, uh, during the course of that trip, he just stopped. And he just looked at me and he said, God is going to open a door and he has another plan for you. And I said, what? I said, who would want me? Uh, you know, I mean, uh, he said, I don't know. But that, you know, that's what, you know, that's, I, I remember that. And after that dream, and in that dream, God said, you left something. And then I realized uh, what I'd left behind. I began to search, make sure that there was no bitternesses, no envies in the past that uh, I needed to tie the ends up with. And I remember sitting on that porch. There was 500 acres. You know, sometimes when God wants to deal with you, he can put you in a place where he can talk to you. And there was 500 acres of empty space in front of us and uh, uh, nearly that much behind us, a, a farm just in a little community. And uh, And I said, God... And it became a revelation to me right then. I said, I'm not a pastor. I can't pastor. I'm not a pastor. And uh, there's, there's no way that I can be. I'm, I'm just a good help. If, I can, if there's ever a place, I said, I'd be satisfied and content. And so uh, time was winding down, I guess you could say. 
and uh, there, but I didn't know that it was. And uh, uh, I preached one of the last messages that I preached in in Ozark, and God broke the back of that uh, spirit, the thing that was trying to destroy that pastor. Uh, it wasn't me, it was God. And uh, the reason I said that uh, about that is because the pastor could not preach. It was, I guess it had to be somebody because it was very close to him. And it was somebody, that, that's just my, my thought. I may, I may be wrong on it. I'm, I, I'm nobody, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, but uh, anyway, part of the way through that, I had a dream. And uh, I was at an airport and I was uh, standing on a rail. Uh, if you've ever seen one, uh, you'll know that they set on fighter jets that uh, the pilot walks up and gets into. And uh, But I, that's, that's all I could see, and everything else was cloudy. And uh, I had remembered preaching a weekend for Pastor Davis after I had pastored. And, uh, and I remember him... Uh, helping me out so much, uh, telling me about the hidden hand of God. How that God's hand is hid so many times, so many times that we can't see it. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we can't, I, I'm trying to remember it. I've got it written down somewhere, but God's hand is hid from us because he don't want to show us what the future is because we might, you know, we might not be able to take it. And uh, so I, I called Brother McFall and uh, talked to him about that dream and uh, about that. Uh, and he said, uh, I don't know, but he said, I figure that somebody, the next time God will send somebody that, that's going to take you and help you out of there. And uh, Still, there was a, a few more battles that uh, fought through that, and uh, uh, that I won't go into. But then, uh, as the the ending of a year, almost a year being there, uh, I had a dream, another dream, and I was there on that uh, that, and I will. This is another one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's right. it's hard to to do this. <laughs> And there's another one that I finally, after years of searching, found a similar jet. I, I carry that picture. Uh, because when God does something, at least to me, when God does something so, to me, so miraculous, I don't ever want to forget it. Yes. And, real stones. Uh, so, anyway, uh, I sat on that, stood there again on that, uh, on the plank, uh, on that ladder. And this time I was on a, uh, at an airport and I saw a jet coming in and it was a fighter jet like I had never seen before. There was every kind of missile that could be placed on one uh, was on it. Whatever it needed, it was equipped with it. And I became scared i i just i'd never seen anything a jet like that and i was i got scared and i stood there and i i watched it as it come in and it landed it it landed with precision 
uh, it didn't bobble. It didn't. Uh, it didn't. The wings didn't tilt in any way. And I, we lived by an airport as a child, and I used to sit out there and watch uh, fighter jets come in and land and take off. And uh, so anyway, there was there was no, nothing that bobbled it in any way. And when it landed, it landed. It stopped at the exact spot that it was supposed to stop. It turned uh, with precision. And uh, it rolled up to that ladder and stopped. And both the canopies, it was uh, had two canopies, and both of the canopies flew up. And uh, I saw the pilot, but I didn't know who he was. He had a helmet on. And uh, the, the colored shade, the visor that yeah, they I pull down when they're flying high. Yeah. When uh, a, f- a fighter pilot flies high and, and is up there, he pulls a, a, a visor down and he had an oxygen mask on. And But the man that got out of the back, I saw him and uh, he had pulled his helmet off and, and stepped out. And uh, uh, this black-headed man, I'd never saw him before, didn't know him. And uh, kind of a tent of uh, complexion uh, of him, uh, and uh, like he'd been out in the sun a lot. And uh, but anyway, I knew I knew who he was. I didn't know who he was. I I knew I could recognize that man. And so uh, I looked at the pilot, and I looked at this uh, man that got out. And uh, when I when I did, well. Uh, I, uh, he looked at me and, and, uh, and had the helmet, his helmet in it, uh, in his hand. And I looked at the pilot again and I could hear his voice. He said, do you want in? And I said, sure. And, uh, the man handed me the, uh, helmet and, uh, I got in and both of the deals went down and the plane took off and that was the end of the dream. I woke up and sweat, wondering what is going on. And uh, so, uh, anyway, I was uh, uh, over there in Ozark uh, that next day, and uh, I was talking to a, a preacher friend. In fact, it was Brother Lee, and he said, you had any dreams lately? And I, he said, yeah. And I said, yeah, I had one. And uh, matter of fact, last night or this morning early, and uh, I told him and described it, and he said, uh, well, who was the pilot? And I said, I have no clue. I said, he never took his helmet off. What'd he sound like? I said, I have no clue. I said, it, I said, it was a vo- in a voice I never had heard before because he was talking through oxygen, that oxygen mask. And he said, who got out? And I said, oh, I can describe him. I said, uh, I don't know him, but I said, I can describe him. And uh, I, I described him to him, and then he never said any more to me. And I said, well, and he said, well, I don't know. I'll pray about it. But I didn't know at the time that he knew the man that got out because when I preached for pastor the first time that weekend, uh, there was no one here but just him. And uh, so, uh, uh, but he knew who was there, uh, and I didn't. I, I'd never seen the man. He knew what he looked like and knew who he was. And so he didn't say no more. 
And so, uh, so anyway, I, uh, so, uh, came and, uh, preached that weekend for Pastor Davis again. And it was in the, the first part of November. Uh, and, uh, I remember, uh, going into his office that night and, uh, I felt just kind of like uh, it'd be this, you know, just a revival. It just, you know, I, I didn't know. And uh, he said, "You can go on out there." And he said, uh, "He said I'll be out there in a minute, and you can wait for, wait for me right there." And so I, I stepped out of the door into the sanctuary there, and I waited at that back door, but close to the usher there, by that that window, and I looked up at the man leading the service and it was the man that got out of the jet. Wow. And I just slumped into the that window seal back there and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, I'm just, uh, you know, and uh, so I, I, I don't, I preached the revival, tried to preach it. <laughs> And uh, that the last night of the service, we were in the office, and that's when Pastor asked me about coming and helping. And I'd not, I don't, I don't believe I'd ever told, I don't, I don't think I'd ever told Pastor that dream. That's one dream I'd never told him. Wow. And uh, and so I told him I would be afraid not to, and then I told him the dream. And so that's January. Uh, that was in November the year before. This past January, we're on our 18th year here. And uh, that's how it came Incredible. about. Incredible. Um, okay. I'm going to actually, uh, we're going to continue this in a part two. We're back again. This is part two of the interview with Elder Scott. Had to stop for a cup of coffee and make a phone call. So uh, we're going to get right back into this. Brother Scott, can you tell us some of your favorite memories of Pastor Davis? One of the favorite and the greatest memory to me uh, of him was when I was in Colorado Springs helping Brother Johnson. And there was uh, one Sunday night, uh, Pastor Davis walked in, uh, I'm wanting to say partway through the service, and uh, he and his family walked in, and uh, the old church in Colorado Springs, it had uh, the balcony part above, and they sat back toward the back. And uh, so anyway, uh, Brother Johnson, uh, uh, everything was, when everything got finished, he was uh, fixing at that time for the preaching. And uh, he had saw pastor back there in the back, and... Uh, so uh, I was sitting there on, uh, on the platform with Brother Fleming. And uh, so Brother Johnson walked there and said uh, that he had been praying this afternoon. And I'm trying to, to remember. I, I think he said that I've asked God to send me a prophet tonight. And uh, he uh, called uh, Pastor Davis by name. And he said, uh, here it is, and, and just stepped away from the pulpit. And uh, I remember looking at uh, Brother Bill Fleming, and I'm saying, oh, my word. Uh, 
just to drop something like that and uh, on someone, you know, because I I'd, I'd saw him, saw Pastor uh, one time before that at, when I lived in Kansas, but never, I'd never heard him preach. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he came up to the front, and I remember, uh, and will never forget, from the time he walked from the back of the church to the front, he connected and preached what needed to be preached that night. And I sat there in amazement, and I'm like, wow. I said to connect that quick. And uh, Do you remember what he preached? I do. There's no discharge in that war. Wow. Incredible. I'll never forget it. And then he, uh, the next time I heard him preach, I heard him preach at that, there was a youth camp uh, there in Colorado, and I heard a time or two him there. But then uh, when we were in uh, Fields, there was an anniversary service there, and uh, he came down and he preached uh, for Brother Lee on that, and he preached uh, Guilty by Association. Mm-hmm. And it was it was an awesome. That message. title's powerful. <laughs> yes. Uh, can you talk about your favorite memories of my grandfather, Elder James Davis? You did meet him. I know it was briefly. You didn't. You weren't super close to him, but you did get a chance to meet him. You told me a few of the stories. Could you share those? Yes. He. I got to uh, meet him when he. We were living in Kansas, and uh, just he came and preached uh, at the camp there in Miltonvale one year and uh, preached on faith and prayer and, and prayed for I remember one of the last times I was in Miltonvale the bottle of oil that he used was still in the pulpit there because uh, I remember walking across the platform for something uh, before we closed down that uh, that particular July for family camp and that was the last time I was there uh, but I could still see that I just happened to glance and saw that bottle of oil. I, I remembered my mind went back yes. because there were some folks that got healed in that camp. But the most uh, uh, memorable thing that I have about him was in 1995 at the Kansas Holiness Conference. And uh, he was one of the speakers, him and Brother Terry Lee. And uh, there was one or two others, but I can't can't remember uh really what the others preached. I do remember what Brother Lee preached uh, vaguely, but what uh, Elder Davis preached, I'll never forget. And that particular day changed my life from that point on until right now. And I'll never forget what he preached. He preached out of Jeremiah 23 and 28 uh, through 32, and he titled his message, The Dreamer. And he said uh, in his message, and he began to talk about how God deals with men with uh, in dreams and how he had had a lot of dreams in his life. And, uh, and he said that some of y'all don't uh, uh, believe what I'm talking about. There was, there was a lot of people, I guess, there that was kind of wondering about what he was talking about. But uh, uh, I set up, and I'd had a dream or two, but I didn't know... Uh, you know, too much. I didn't, you know, I just didn't know a whole lot about him. And anybody I talked to about him, they just kind of, you know, I guess they were the kind that uh, didn't really go along with dreams that much either. But 
anyway, he said, uh, I want to stir a hunger uh, in you to hear and ask God to uh, deal with you in this measure of dreams. And uh, I remember just uh, grabbing hold of every word that he said and uh, because I thought, well, because he said, uh, you know, God can use you. And mm-hmm. and uh, and faith got a hold of me. <laughs> and I said, if God can use you and dream like that, if, that, if that's, then I'm going to ask God. And so I went home and asked God. I said, would you... Uh, would you give me these dreams? It, give me what he's talking about. I, I would like to. I would like to be used in that measure. Uh, you know, I said, and I know you're no respecter of persons. If you give him them, you give me. I, and so I just, so I ask him. And so, uh, truly, uh, from that point on, I, I am not saying I'm anything because I'm not really. I'm not. But God has used me in a lot of dreams. And uh, let me put it this way. God has given me a lot of dreams. I don't know where it'd be today uh, if it hadn't been for God giving me dreams. God's given me dreams, uh, warnings to keep me from uh, doing something I shouldn't do. Uh, going to somewhere that that maybe I... I wanted to go to a camp one time. And uh, I had a dream I wanted to... Uh, but somebody was there... And uh, they had plans of what they, they was, basically they were, it was a set up deal. I, I don't want to really go into all the details of it because it'd take too long to do it. But, but anyway, I told my pastor at that time, I said, uh, here's the dream I had and we were fixing to leave. And he said, uh, you better, uh, you better go and, uh, visit, uh, with your folks and, uh, and the time that you were going to go there and uh, to that camp and then go and preach the revival you were going to preach and so that's what I did I uh, uh, did and went, and that pastor that I preached the revival for after that he was at that camp and he said you better be glad you didn't go they had a church lined out to put you in that's what it was oh wow <laughs> so uh, and, and I wasn't interested in the church mm-hmm. and, and so anyway uh, but uh, and they was going to uh, it, 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 it just God gives us warnings through dreams, and uh, and I mentioned it earlier of how the dreams that He gave me and stuff. I don't always know the interpretation of them, but uh, but God's given me uh, uh, so many dreams uh, uh, because of that one message from uh, Elder Davis, and uh, uh, I do and I do I do really remember him. He was such a kind and a, a gentleman. And I remember calling him one time when uh, my wife, it was something to do with music with your mom when they was in Box Springs. Mm-hmm. And he was so kind. And I called him to see if it was all right for my wife to talk to your mom. And he said, yes, brother, it's fine. Just that, uh, I don't know how to say it, that uh, Elder Davis yeah. laugh. Yeah, he, had a, he had a little Infectious. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, a little bit of a wheeze in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and he said, "Yeah, that's fine." I mean, I was an assistant, but I still felt that I needed to call him and, and make sure that it was all right. And uh, so, uh, but that's for that's that's the the dreams that I've had. They've took me uh, from that from that point. It's took me step by step. It seems like almost I don't know every major uh, move in your life has come as a you know been warned 
or uh, God gave you a heads up through a dream, right? Right, and and preaching uh, revivals, I've most of the time the revivals when I was doing that, I had dreams about the church before I ever went there. Yeah, he was a man of dreams, that's for sure. Uh, I remember many dreams that he told us about having, and uh, that did stir a hunger in my heart as well, and I prayed the same thing, and for a while God dealt with me in that measure. But, yeah, he was he was a man given to dreams, and I believe some of the men that's come out from under him, I've heard Brother McFall talk about some dreams. Hopefully mm-hmm. tomorrow we'll get some of those stories. Uh, but I remember him talking about some dreams, and uh, I remember some of the other men talking about dreams. Mm-hmm. But the thing that gets me about that story is the fact I know he felt like a failure after preaching that message because he faced so much opposition when he preached it. And perhaps I'll later on on this podcast, post that message so people can hear it, because I do have an audio recording of it. Uh, well, I listened to it, and it, it didn't fall on uh, uh, deaf ears. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sometimes when, as a preacher, you feel like the biggest failure is when you've really had the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the devil uh, knows what kind of an impact it's going to have, and he wants to discourage you. Right. Uh, let's talk about your relationship with Elder Westberg. You got a lot of great stories about Elder Westberg. And uh, he was a, a man, if we can be honest, loved by many, hated by many. Right. You either loved him or you hated him. There yeah. really was no in-between. Can you talk about your memories of him? Uh, when we moved to Kansas, uh, I uh, became the, not the first year that I was there, but I mean, I became the, the later on became the camp registrar. And then for a short period of time, I was a district uh, Sunday school secretary. And uh, I got to being around the campground. My uh, brother uh, was the, the, he pastored in Hayesville, Kansas. And I was helping him. And uh, being, uh, he was the uh, camp overseer, manager. There was a man that was living there, Brother Basil, that kind of oversaw the camp when everyone was away but uh we basically went there uh to make sure everything before camp uh was uh started that everything was ready to go and and uh never there was never enough beds set up it seemed like there was always time you had to there was always more that came in we had to set beds up for them and uh, but i got to uh, visit with brother westberg a lot then and uh visit with him also uh my wife taught uh, piano lessons to their school, to Sister Marjorie, and to their school every Thursday. And so there was times that I would get to go up there, and when Brother Westberg was there, sometimes he would uh, he'd come back. They had there was a little room there, and they told me I could sit there and wait, and uh, which didn't bother me. I'd, and uh, he would uh, he'd call me back there and told me come and make a cup of coffee and and. Uh, just just talk he would just talk about things uh in the past uh uh he was a truck driver i had drove a truck and uh so uh but uh, one of the the fondest things that i had of those times in there was uh he had and i've got some of those recordings that uh, we were able to turn into a cd is uh when paul harvey came on he just he would not miss Paul Harvey, mm-hmm. and uh, the rest of the story. The rest <laughs> of the story, and so the the good part was uh, was when Paul Harvey was over this old time radio uh, show of the Lone Ranger, what the beginning music was. You could hear that, 
and that would come on and he'd punch the, the button and record, make sure that was recorded. And he would record uh, a story by Jerry Clower because it was done every time right yeah. after uh-huh. uh, Paul Harvey. And those were, uh, those were some good times he, uh, that uh, uh, he talked. And uh, I got to uh, uh, listen to him. Just I just sat there and uh, times that he talked about before he came to God. He said, I always wanted uh, to live for God. He said, but I didn't. But he said, I always wanted to live for God. And uh, times he had, uh, uh, his mama had sent him a Bible. And, and uh, uh, I, I wished I could remember that story. And uh, there was something behind, I'm wanting to say he had a pistol behind his locker. Something happened. And a, I think I remember a, this story. A pay line uh, uh, or something. And, and he kept reaching to get grab that 45 but he said my hand could never go past that bible my mama sent me and uh there was just a lot of uh good times there just sitting drinking coffee and just uh and he loved coffee yes he did he loved coffee and uh community coffee and uh been working around the the campground with him and uh he'd come down the kitchen uh of an early morning and sometimes i was there and and uh, it just he'd have that brother Westberg smile, and uh, one of the 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 best things that I remember the most about uh, I wish I'd had a picture of him was it was the first day of youth camp, the first night, and it was late, late. The service was over, and we were dragging beds, and uh, and it was hot. It was one of those hot Kansas summer nights, and. Uh, there was some cottages there on the old campgrounds and I was walking back but I was just tired and I just sat down and rested because we had just got through drug dragging some uh, beds around and uh, I was sitting there and I began to wipe the sweat uh, off my face and uh, I heard a, a boot grade on gravel and it was like one thirty, maybe 2 in the morning I'm wanting to say and uh, I turned and looked, and Brother Westberg and Sister Westberg had a little house across the road and down from the campground. And I looked, and there was Brother Westberg in a pair of uh, uh, wet, to, uh, looked Western-style uh, cut uh, pants uh, and a shirt. And uh, he was walking, coming over there toward where Brother Baser was living. That was where the phone was. And uh, when I looked at him, I thought uh, if he had one six-gun on and a hat pulled down low. <laughs> but uh, he looked at me as he walked past it with that Brother Westberg grin that he had. And he said, you know, sometimes these preachers need you at all hours of the night. And you just got to do it. And he just uh, got to go take a phone call. You might be wanting to go to sleep, but you just need this. Just walked on, just you know, just said, "You gotta do it." And so, he uh, that was that was one that I the remember the most that I wish and uh, the one of the funniest uh, things that I ever saw at the campground. I I kind of set where he could get my eye because if he needed anything, I would somebody slipped out, he'd look at me and I would, I would uh, 
I'd take off, and if somebody slipped out to go, one of the kids, I was kind of trying to be the gopher. And if he needed anything, I would try to uh, go for uh, for him somewhere, whatever he needed. So, but one night during uh, uh, camp, uh, altar call was just rolling. I mean, and uh, kids, I mean, was just. Uh, I believe it was youth camp. It might have been family camp, but there was an awesome altar service. And uh, he walked over to me and he said, <laughs> I'll never forget it. He said, you know that cat standing over there? <laughs> so I looked and unbeknownst to anybody, I don't know who the guy was, just walked in off the street and was up there playing the trumpet and just having a good time. Don't know who he was, <laughs> just stepped in off. And uh, he said, uh, I'll tell you what, we, we don't want to offend any of these good people. He said, go over and tell him he can't play until he meets the music committee, which is me. <laughs> and uh, he said, I'll meet him, uh, I'll meet, tell him to meet the music committee, which is me, tomorrow at the kitchen. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, I'll, uh, uh, and he said, then I'll tell him he can't play. So, you know, you know, we, we just, we don't want to offend anybody on this. Uh, since our camp's here and we're, we try to be loud enough, you know, probably loud enough. I can't remember just how he said it, but I, I said, yes, sir, I'll do it. So I walked over there and I told him, you know, what to do. And he said, oh, okay, I, I will, I'll do that. And so I turned and walked back to Brother Westberg and he looked at me and with that Brother Westberg looks kind of stern. Did you tell him what I told I said, word for word, Edward, word for word. <laughs> and he said, and he did like only Brother Westberg could. He adjusted his glasses. He said, I guess he needs it a little more plainer. <laughs> so he walked over there, stuck his, uh, got down close to that guy's ear. And all of a sudden, I seen that guy shoot off the platform like a rocket out of a silo. <laughs> and uh, he come walking over there, and he went, <laughs> Some people needs it explained a little bit better. He said, I just leaned down and yelled, get off of the platform. <laughs> so I, I'll never forget that. And uh, uh, messages that he preached, uh, the seven spirits of God, uh, mm -hmm. the others. Awesome. And uh, the, the, day, the day I was ordained, uh, he preached on... He, preached the afternoon service at family camp on uh, uh, on that last afternoon and he preached if the standard bear fainteth yes you and, sent me that recording it's awesome message. so he preached that message and and others messages and miracles that uh, that he talked about uh, Jimmy White uh, uh, backslidden preacher's son out of Louisiana men of Louisiana I think it was and uh had got shot in the eye. I'm wanting to say, well, I don't know how big the pistol was, but he'd been shot right in the eye. And the doctor and Brother White had called him and called Brother Westberg and told him about his son and asked him if he'd go pray for him. He said, I'll, I'll go. And he said, uh, and pray for him and let you know. And the doctor told Brother Westberg, he said, the bullet is right there. And he said, when, uh, uh, he said, when the swelling starts, he's gone. He said, I have, I can't do anything. He said, I, I walked in. He said, I said, just a simple prayer. Just uh, God had him think, thinking of his dad down there trying to, to work for God, build a church. And here's his boy dying in Kansas. And 
And so he said, I just laid my hand on him and, and uh, prayed for him. Just, uh, he said, just simple, just simple. And uh, he said, uh, he said, I started to walk out. The doctor was standing there, and uh, they were taking him by ambulance to uh, Topeka. And uh, uh, Jimmy White leaned over and began to vomit. And uh, the doctor looked at Brother Wet. He said, what does that mean? And, and the doctor said, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. And so he called Brother White. I remember him telling me in a message. He said, I called Brother White, and, and he said, I'm going to Topeka. And he said, I'll be waiting to him when you get there. And uh, I'll go there. And he, when he got to, got to Topeka, he said, uh, they asked him if they could help him. And he said, yeah, have you got a, a Jimmy White, Jim or Jim White? Uh, he said, I wanted to deceive his condition. He said, well, you can ask him for yourself. All you got to do is walk in there and ask him. He's sitting up in the bed. And he said that Brother uh, or Jimmy White had called him uh, when he preached that message, and I heard him tell that story that he called him. He'd prayed back through down in Alexandria, Louisiana. So mm, wow. just uh, and Incredible. then uh, the last time I saw him alive uh, was uh, Brother Johnson had the Old Pass Conference, and Brother Westberg was one of the speakers. And uh, he was going to go horseback riding. He was all going. And, and I was fortunate enough to get to go that day. And uh, so I went and, and uh, picked Brother Westberg up. And uh, we began to chat. And uh, as uh, and there's there's other stories I could tell you. But we just, truck drivers just seem like they can get. But anyway, um, he began to talk. And he said, I'm I'm tired. And, uh, and I'm trying, I've, I've got that wrote down somewhere. And uh, I said, he said, this sometimes I get tired. And being in, he's talking about the, being the district superintendent. And uh, he said, you know, somebody else can come up and carry it. But, but he looked and he said, uh, uh, but he said some, but then he turned around and he just had that brother Westberg that I'm not going to back up. He said, somebody has got to stand for the truth. And uh, I realized then uh, how much he loved the truth. Mm -hmm. And I realized how much uh, it meant to him when he would say uh, that scripture, he said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And he said they loved not their lives unto the death. Because I don't think he... Uh, he was not worried about it. He, he he stood for the truth. It didn't matter who liked it, who didn't like it. He loved the truth, yes. this message that we preach. Yes. He was a man that was highly misunderstood, but he was a man that was very passionate about what he believed. And you can't be passionate about what you believe and not be misunderstood. Right. Yeah. He couldn't go anywhere. He, one time he told me, and he's probably told others, He, but we was down there and he... He said, uh, we went on vacation. He said, I have to go in just regular clothes on my boots. I don't want nobody to think that and go dressed up. They'll want me to preach. He said, and him and Sister Westberg had gone on vacation somewhere. And he said, we walked into church and listened to the preaching. And uh, and so uh pastor looked at him and he said, uh, uh, I didn't get your name. He's one of our visitors. He said, what was it? And he said, Westberg. <laughs> he said, you're in kin to that 
Westberg that's in Kansas, and he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. <laughs> so he got a kick out of that. So. That's awesome. Uh, okay, but before we close out, I'm, I'm going to kind of uh, wrap this up. But I do want to kind of tap back into something we got into earlier. It's a little bit off script. I apologize. But maybe share a few more memories of Pastor Davis. Uh, maybe specifically now of like assisting him. It, there's so many uh, memories. There's no way I could. Uh, and I don't, I don't really just say that. I, I, uh, uh, I cannot say how enough for him I, I just the faith that he has um, I've seen him pray for so many people uh, a woman right out here in the foyer died and uh, he lay hands on her and God bring him back to life that was and just recent too that was just recent just, recent, and, just a couple uh, years ago uh, seen another elderly lady uh, uh had cancer and they was fixing to do surgery and uh, in the middle of preaching I think it was uh, he walked up and called her up there laid hands on her and prayed for her and when they went up to do the surgery they said there's a there's there where it's been we see where it is we, we know where it was but it's not there now and uh, and uh, others uh, I, I remember myself uh, uh, taking his uh coat or taking his uh, not his coat but his tide box to the back and I tripped going off of the steps and uh, and I heard my ankle my foot twisted and I heard my ankle pop my foot pop as it twisted and I just hit the ground in a row and I was sitting in a chair and he walked up and laid hands on me and prayed for me and it was as of a hot iron went down through my foot and I when I knew I couldn't stand on it but when that happened it uh, I stood up and uh, my foot got blue and everything and I did take it to the doctor and showed it to him and his doctor said the foot does not do that unless it's broke he said I'm going to x-ray it I said you can x-ray it but I said it's not broke I'm walking on it and uh, he said, well, how do you know it's not broke? I said, because God healed me yesterday. And uh, so uh, he uh, took the x-ray and he said, you're right, it's not broke. <laughs> but he said, your foot does not do that unless it is broke. And so, and then others, and uh, thing, others that, uh, books that has been written, uh, that uh, miracles has been written down. Uh, four journals, right? Four journals and uh, things I've, uh, See, one of the one of the things that uh, still awed me uh, to this day is to watch him pray for someone to get the Holy Ghost. And uh, time and time again, I've watched him. Uh, uh, just seems like you see somebody, and he will say something to him and speak to him a word of faith, and uh, you'll see that uh, hand touch that finger, touch that bottle of oil, and when it touches their forehead. You can see the transformation time yes. and time and time again. And uh, it's, uh, to me, it's uh, 18 years that I've, uh, going on the 18 years that I've been here, it's been, to me, the greatest because I feel 
and I don't say this just uh, uh, if anybody knows me I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm 63 years old I don't have to yes, sir. but I, I feel like that that God has gave me one of the greatest pastors to assist that's going to be that this ever lived Yes. And, uh, uh, one thing I would like to share, me and you have had conversations about this, and if he hears this, I might get in trouble for bringing this up. But uh, it's where you know that I'm not into flattery. You know that. Right. Uh, but one thing about Pastor Davis that me and you have talked about that is little known is God has given him a, has used him, because I know he how he would probably correct that, but... Uh, God has used him many times in the interpretation of dreams. Yes. And uh, one thing in particular is I've always been amazed by when I share a dream with him, his God-given ability, if I could put it that way, how God uses him to interpret that dream. Because a lot of times when he's done it, I've walked away saying, I never would have saw that in a million years. But after he explains it, it just makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've had the same experience too. Right. It's just, it's incredible. And also you mentioned the fact of his faith and the way he prays for people uh, to get the Holy Ghost. He always approaches them with a total confidence. There's not a question in his mind it's going to happen. And I remember him talking about one night where he was very sick in body and could hardly stand. You remember this, right? Mm-hmm. And he said there was a line of people that came up to get prayed for. And he said, I could hardly stand. And he was holding on to like the banister while he was praying. And he said, every one of them were healed, but he was not. Right. And he walked away from that that night, still sick, but everyone he prayed for was still healed. And uh, it's obvious that the faith that was in his father has been transferred. Mm-hmm. He's I a man of great faith. Yeah. And not only that, but... Um, I don't want to offend anybody listening to this recording, but my grandfather was not known as a great preacher. Uh, He was a man of great faith, but he would be the first one to tell you it wasn't the fact that he was a great orator, because he wasn't a great orator, but he was a man of great faith. Uh, But Pastor Davis is a great preacher. Yes. I mean, and he's really is, he wouldn't call himself an orator, but he's led of the Spirit, and he's preached many tremendous messages. Is there one that sticks out in your mind, maybe, that he's preached? Oh, that's like that's like asking, you know, what's what's your favorite cup of coffee? Because <laughs> there's so many. I guess one of of the many that he's preached, and there's so many. How could you how could you pick one out? Is just uh, the one that he preached here just not too long ago, "Fallen Among Thieves." Yes, is one of the greatest messages I've ever heard in my life yes and of course a lot of people can point to that one he preached in Tulsa Oklahoma Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's there's so many he preached one I remember off the top of my head is what Judas could have been do you remember him preaching that yes and then he preached one here uh, bury me standing up I think it was that way I think something similar yeah Yeah. he's preached a lot of good ones a lot Mm -hmm. of good ones Um, okay let's we're going to kind of wrap this up now Uh, do you have any uh Scriptures that's been on your heart lately. I guess I, these uh, these two, and it was a certain disciple at Dam- Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, and uh, Ananias, and he said, "Behold, I am here, Lord." And then the other one is Second Timothy four eleven. Only Luke is with me. Hmm. It's that one that part, and but Ananias, he said, "I am." here 
And, you know, a lot of the questions you've asked is a lot of been pointed to me, assisting and so forth. And uh, I don't know if there's any assistance that's going to be listened to this. And if you ever got anything, uh, your name may not be in lights, but it's not about you. Ananias was mentioned one time right then, but he was, he said, here am I, Lord. Here, I'm here, Lord. He was ready when God needed him to be. Nothing great, out, but he touched a man that uh, his, his obeying God touched and, and, and following God's direction. He prayed for Paul, a man that was a great persecutor, but also a man that wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. And I, I think of Paul sticking with uh, uh, Paul right to the end of his life. He's uh, a pen and paper. And we know Luke, Luke Luke's the, the great physician. We know the scripture was the beloved physician. Yes. Uh, the one scripture mentioned. But then he said, Paul says, right down toward the end of life, only Luke is with me. Hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, and we were talking about Pastor Davis and being assistant and being in the will of God. And uh, if I can take his coat when he starts to preach and then help him put it back on, and uh, I can take the tithe box back, or anything I can do to take his, and I'm not trying to flatter anything. I'm just trying to open my heart and tell you, to me, that I'm doing the will of God. Yes. I'm not... I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, but I can be a helper. And uh, I just, uh, that's that's what I'm looking to be. And uh, so uh, I hope something that has been said, uh, if I uh, I wanna be, uh, do more uh, to help him than what he asks or is expected me to do. And uh, if I go before him and he preaches my funeral, uh, I want him to be able to say, I don't know if I can replace this man. I want to be an asset to him. Wow. That's good stuff because uh, one thing that I draw out of that is just this little phrase, if you want to be the biggest help, you want to be somebody that's used of God, just be there. Be available. And uh, right. it's kind of like Ananias. You mentioned one time we have God spoke to him and said, Ananias, and when he called his name, he said, here am I. May have been the only time he called his name. We don't know. Right, but he was available. But he was available when right. God called him. That's good stuff right there. Uh, can you close with a word of prayer? Lord God of heaven, we thank you today for your mercy, and your goodness, and your grace. You're a good God. You have been a merciful God to me. I thank you for what you have done in my life, God. I pray, God, that you would take the words that I've spoken, this testimony, and if there's someone out there that hears this, I pray that it would help them. I pray that it would encourage them and bless them. And God, we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>